It's my first time. First time. Welcome to Babylon 5 for the first time. Not a Star Trek podcast. My name is Jeff Aiken, and I am watching Babylon 5 for the first time. And I'm Brent Allen, and I'm also watching Babylon 5 for the first time. Jeff and I are two Star Trek podcasting veterans who are watching Babylon 5 for the first time, as we have now said three times in the show. And in this show, we're watching Babylon 5. We're searching for Star Trek-like messages, not Star Trek messages, to Star Trek-like messages, and trying to decide if we should have watched the show a whole lot sooner than 35 years after it first premiered. 35, 40, 30-ish. A couple of years. Like it's a couple yeah. years, right? Yeah. yeah. Time's hard to track these days. Yes. It's important to note, though, Brent, this is not a Star Trek podcast, but like you said, that's Wait, do we, we do. talk about Star Trek? We do. We do, but this yeah. is not a Star Trek podcast. So we've got our rule, right? Three, yes. the rule of three. So we each get up to three Star Trek references in each episode. And if we drop one, we're going to call it. That's all you get. When we get to the end and we give our closing thoughts and talk about those Star Trek-like messages, well, it's a little more free range from there. But this way, we have an opportunity to uh, focus more on Babylon 5. And have some fun with it because if you can't, if you use them all and you can't say it, you got to figure it's out. It's hard. It. it is so hard. <laughs> like, like, I have to say this thing and I don't know how to say it. Oh. Right. But, you right. know, speaking of saying things, Brent, we have the most incredible listeners and viewers. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast, watching us on YouTube, and more than anything, interacting with us. Yes. If it's cool, I've got a couple comments uh, that we've gotten from uh, viewers and listeners I would love to share. Does that sound good? It, it sounds great, I want, but I just want to note, we have received so many comments. This is not an exhaustive list. I'm as, This is a question I'm asking. I'm, not, I'm clarifying. You're not reading all of them, right? And you're not snubbing anybody. If I read the comments just from, well, let me look, just from soul hunter on youtube just that uh-huh. it's almost a hundred comments that right. i'd be reading so yeah you're welcome to go to our yeah. youtube channel and and i and do i mean do oh it. my gosh yeah. there are some great conversations happening right there and in, in fact let's here's one of them dale sharp dale sharp on youtube says this uh says this to us he says i enjoyed your reaction i want to comment on some of your questions but i don't want to spoil the show thank you dale <laughs> Thank you. Answers are coming, he says. There are definitely episodes that I'm patiently waiting for you guys to react to. First seasons are usually not my favorite season due to the slow character and world building for long arcs, but it's part of the process. I wish, and here's where I love that, I wish Firefly would have gotten the proper chance to shine. Thank you, Dale. People don't know this. I named my daughter after a character in Firefly. The girl that was in Firefly that I'm pretty sure you named your daughter after was in Stargate. What? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. I think our next podcast is going to be. Because <laughs> I've never watched Stargate. Dude, Stargate's awesome. Uh, Dale, thank you. And thank you for not spoiling it. And when we get to those episodes, please come back and be like, this is what I was talking this about. This was the one. Maybe it's today's episode because I'm pretty stinking excited to talk about this episode. I am too. Now, listen, we have a website, Babylon5first.com. It's the number five and the word first. And this, and you can uh, click a little thing and you can send us an email through the website. Mm. And David sent us an email through that. It's a lengthy one. A lot of times the emails get into a lot of details. I love it. Well, David, through the website, sent us this piece. This is part of, part of the email he sent. Brent, Jeff, no spoilers here. Huh. This is such a great thing to read. Found your Babylon 5 first-time podcast this week, and I'm catching up on episodes. I'm glad I'm catching it very early. Mm. You both are doing a great job in reviewing and analyzing Babylon 5. Thanks, David. I think it's hard to analyze through a Star Trek lens, but I do understand your goal. I look forward to hearing your epiphanies, and you'll have many, as you move through the series and discover how things interconnect. Thanks, David. Thanks. 
I feel like I'm saying this less to David and more to you and I, like I'm just clarifying this on our side. We're not necessarily analyzing this through a Star Trek lens as much as we're using the lens of analyzing a show that we've gained from watching and podcasting about Star Trek. Yeah. And applying it here. Like, does that make sense? Like, like it's, it's, we're not propping this up right up against Star Trek and saying, is this, you know, does this meet the standards of Trek? Like, that's not it. It just, when you podcast about Star Trek specifically, and it's the way the show is designed, like you start to look at storytelling and shows in a certain way. And, and you just have, you have that lens and it, like, that's kind of what we're doing. I think for our other podcasts, you know, beam me up uh star Trek podcast on your side, the Starfleet leadership Academy on my side, because of the way our shows are designed, we have to dissect the shows in a certain way. Mm-hmm. That's what we're applying to Babylon five. So that's a really good, really good clarification. I think David, thank you so much for your email and everybody else. I, you know, the thing about those emails is I don't get them. You do. So like I'm hearing this for the first time live with everybody else out there today's episode though. Let's start talking about this because I, 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 you already started. I'm (laughs) I'm anxious to dive into today. We're discussing the episode, the war prayer. Now here's my question. Is it the war prayer? Like the person who prays like the war prayer or is it like the war prayer? Uh, That could be the text of what you're praying. Right. You know, and who are you praying it to? I have this question anyway, for those who have, not really seen this episode in a while, Jeff, uh, those Babylon five veterans out there or, or people who just haven't watched the show at all, but they're listening to us anyway. Tell us about this episode. What happened in it? Oh, buckle up. There is a lot. There is a lot that happened in this one. And let's start off with the first big notable thing. This was written by none other than DC Fontana. No. Yes. Shut up. So <gasps> every episode except one up to this point, there's one that was written by someone else. Everyone uh-huh. else has been written by JMS. This one, DC Fontana. It gets no. no more. It gets no more Star Trek. Like literally the one person who's more Star Trek than Gene Roddenberry, DC Fontana. Right. And for, just for those of you who don't know, which if you're listening to us, you probably know this already. Right. Like DC Fontana was around from the original series as one of the writers. And she went through the animated series. She even came into the first couple seasons of next generation. Like this lady and she crafted the majority of what Star Trek became signature Star Trek. Yep. She was the keeper of what is Star Trek and what isn't. And what like that's, that's a, that's a royalty name. Yeah. And she wrote this episode. I, I, so I saw it. I'm watching the credits. And I saw it come out. I'm like, what? I had to go back. And I'm like, no, no. Oh my gosh. DC Fontana. And for me, that like, yeah, that makes this whole episode make so much sense. It, that, cha- that recolors this whole episode for me right now. And also, in other big news, not only is it that it's written by one of the greatest television writers in history, yeah. but for the first time in forever. We see all of the council members at one point or another. We do. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, yeah. Ha, that, it turns out you can't have an episode with all of them in and have it be a good episode. Who knew? Well, let's start off with Londo. So Londo meets his uh, his aide, Veer Kodo, who has propped himself up as ambassador Kodo to some people. But he meets his cousin and his girlfriend, Winnie Cooper. That was her. I was going to look yeah. that up because I was like, dude, that's that's Winnie Cooper. Yeah, right. that's Winnie Cooper. All right. So apparently arranged marriages are a thing for the Centauri and the cousin and Winnie Cooper want out of theirs. They want to marry each other. But Londo doesn't understand what love has to do with marriage. And so we join him on a journey of self-discovery where he finally decides that love is important and that children should be allowed to dance. So he sets them up with a second cousin of his that's going to help them find a way to find their happily ever after. And speaking of happily ever afters, Ivanova runs into the one that got away, or actually the one that she let go so she could focus on her career. This guy named Malcolm Biggs comes on to the station. They apparently broke up eight years ago, and they start rekindling their romance. Now all the happy stuff out of the way the hate groups, the hate groups that have been mentioned before have made it to Babylon five. There have been attacks on earth, Mars, and now the station. Shal Mayan, a Minbari poet is with the Len and on her way home is assaulted by, uh, by one of these hate groups and has a brand. She's branded on her forehead. 
The attacks on aliens are becoming more and more commonplace, and there's a group called Home Guard that is taking credit for them. Jakar nearly incites a riot, crying for station security, notably the human station security from Earth, to do something about the attacks. Sinclair checks in with Kosh. Do you remember? Do you remember Kosh? Remember who that was? Yeah, he's the uh, Vorlon ambassador. He's got the cool He was suit. from that movie Independence Day, right? I think so. Yeah, some movie. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen mm-hmm. him. But Kosh couldn't care less about the attacks that are going on. But the meeting gets Sinclair to thinking, and we get, oh, we get an absolutely epic piece of serialization, a big touch point on the episode. It goes back to the pilot, The Gathering. Sinclair tells us that the two people that physically saw Kosh or mentally connected with him scanned his mind, Dr. Benjamin Kyle and the telepath Lita Alexander, were both reassigned to Earth shortly after that encounter. Security footage that they were reviewing reveals that the mastermind behind all the attacks is none other than Malcolm Biggs, Ivanova's love interest. So Sinclair plays like he's a racist or a speciesist or I don't know what you'd call it here, but he has Ivanova set up a meeting using experimental black light camouflage from earth force. Malcolm's thugs uncloak like they were invisible and cloaked. And this leads to a threat that we hear many, many times from this point forward in the episode. And that's that home guard has friends everywhere. They're planning a mass assassination of all the council ambassadors. So Sinclair drops the act and he attacks. They arrest Malcolm and the home guard thugs. But on his way to lockup, Malcolm trash talks Ivanova, who ends the episode by responding in a way that only she could, by saying that she finds that the many people, the many aliens that she's met so far, are much more human than he is. Brent, this was a lot. What was uh, what was your reaction to this one? Jeff, I loved this episode yes yes start to finish i loved it adored it and now that you tell me that dc fontana is the one who wrote it i understand why totally totally this episode was awesome and if like like i talk about those first season episodes in sci-fi that that many of our commenters have mentioned like first seasons can be rough you get those episodes that you kind of like that give you enough hope to keep moving on. Like they're, they're okay. They're not as bad as some of the ones you've just seen, but they give you enough hope to keep moving on. But in that first season, you're going to get one or two episodes that blow you away and show you the full potential of what a show could do. That's this episode. And it's only episode seven, right? And I don't know how many more are in season one, but this is the first one that just, it was good. The writing was tight. The pacing was amazing. When I looked up at the end of this show, I thought we'd been on a two hour movie. Yeah. And not because it was slow paced because so much was packed in to this 44, 43, 47 minutes, whatever it is during that time you referenced it a minute ago. The fact that they gave us an in universe reason for casting changes yes, oh. is amazing. And was, and it made sense. And it's like, wait a minute. That's not just a throwaway line. That's a bigger plot reason for where they're going. This, this is the first time we've been told, we've been told in the comments that the, the a plot B plot dynamic is different in Babylon five than it is in most other sci-fi, not just Star Trek, but most other sci-fi shows in that they use the B plot to further character development that usually pays off later on. This is the first time we have seen that come back to pay off with, with Londo's whole th- and actually kind of reverse. It was like a whole episode before paid off in a B plot here. Cause if we call the B plot here, the whole thing about the arranged marriage, mm-hmm. which by the way, a plot B plots completely connected, did exactly what a plot B plot should be. But still, if the B plot is the, the, the arranged marriage and Londo's whole piece where that connects back to born to the purple, born to the purple. Yep. The one where he he met the and he's going through that. I mean, the way these things connected and Londo just seems completely oblivious until he gets reminded of it. And, you know, if you've watched that episode, you know what he's thinking in his head. And you're like, dude, this is where you've been. Yeah. And he gets confronted with that. I, Jeff, this episode was 
so good. This is the first time I have willingly watched an episode multiple times, not just for the podcast because I needed to see it again, but because I wanted to watch this. I wanted to watch it again. This episode gave me major game of Thrones vibes. And I, I loved that show right up till the end. Um, so I've got a lot more other thoughts, but I'll save them for our discussion. How about you, Jeff? What are your overall first thoughts about this episode? The war prayer. I got to echo everything you said. This episode was perfect. It was so good. I, I picked up on a couple of things too, that were just was, were, were so brilliant in the whole piece. The first, uh, I don't know if this was intentional or not. So Londo has three wives. We get to see pictures of them and he calls them pestilence, famine, and death. So here's my question, Brent. There's four horsemen. Does that make Londo war? Mm. Or is there another wife coming? (laughs) That is when he said his line, I'm sorry if I'm jumping into your, your comments here. When he said his line, the, you know, knowing that they're waiting for me back home is what keeps me inspired to stay here. 75,000 light years away. It was so funny. Now I just want to say this. I am very pro marriage. I am in a very happy marriage. I know that because she tells me every day, (laughs) like I, I, I love my wife. I know it's not for everybody and that's cool, but for me, it works. That was hilarious. She and I, I watched it with her. She and I both cackled when we heard that because it was, it was just funny because a joke is just a joke sometimes and you don't have to take offense. It was hilarious. So good. Probably way funnier than anybody else thinks it was. I thought it was great. When the writing of an episode, is it the caliber that this episode was at? Everything Mm -hmm. is elevated. Everything is elevated. Like you said, the pacing was great, but the acting was incredible through this episode. We've talked a lot about a couple of the scenes that were just humiliating, you know, where I, I I tend to give the benefit of the doubt that this must've been like take 47 or whatever. And they just had to give up and piece together the best that they had. But when Sinclair was talking to Kosh and he's trying to get him to care about this, but Kosh is busy watching that, uh, that library machine that Mr. Atos had in the original series, uh-huh. all of our yesterdays. Right. Yeah. Cause it was literally that. Right. <laughs> but when he's watching that, he asks, he says, look, It'd be good for you to talk to the other uh, ambassadors. You know, maybe you could give a hand. And then when he says that, like, it's just this tiny, he's wearing like the face mask thing, but his face changes just enough that you can see that revelation that then Mm -hmm. leads to him saying, wait a minute, they put the head on patch, the headache patch on his hand. How could they touch his hand? The acting there, Virkota with his reaction to the, uh, to the three wives, Jakar and his righteous righteous indignation about things. None of it was corny. None of it was cheesy. It was real. I I, I felt every bit of it. I thought it was so well done. Uh, Can we talk about Veer for a little bit? Yeah. Because his messed up hair. (laughs) No, but (laughs) like he clearly, like he didn't even try. He just like kind of woke up and it's, yeah. Well, he just, he ran out of moose in the jar this morning and just didn't have enough to keep it up. But I I have to give a special shout out to Veer because we've we've ran him through the mud mm-hmm. in the last couple of episodes. And and it, well, again, you go back to DC Fontana, I'm like, now it makes sense because she does what DC Fontana does. She took what is effectively a comic book character. Mm-hmm. At best. Maybe not no, I'm sorry. Let me let me change that. A comic strip character. And she turned him in the course of the episode. She just didn't rewrite him. She actually gave him a, a a real life situation and turned him into somebody who is strong and respectable and growing and becoming who he actually wants to be and who he should be a better version of Londo. Like I was so impressed when Veer stood up to Londo and said, and you could tell like it was taking everything within him when he stood up and he said, ambassador, you're wrong. And he called him out to, to look at that. Jeff, I don't know what that does to you as a leadership podcast guy to be able to look at your superior and say, boss, you're wrong. And then to have a leader who is aware of himself enough to not dig his heels in, but go, you're right. And, and, you know, and he goes off on this whole thing about my shoes are too tight and all. And that's a beautiful metaphor. Oh my gosh. What a great metaphor. But Veer, he elevated 
absolutely the most to me in this episode. And I think it was his acting too. Like I, 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 it's a drum I'm beating a lot here, but it was those small reactions he had to the three wives. And like you just said, when he did stand up to Londo, it wasn't just the words he said, it was his body, his whole body. Yeah. And you, what, and so from a leadership standpoint, without doing a full like deep dive analysis, but there's a lot that we don't see. And what that is, is Londo working with Veer to develop him and help him learn these mm-hmm. pieces. So clearly there's a relationship between these two that Londo has actively fostered and Veer has worked in mm-hmm. where he feels uh, maybe not safe, but he feels empowered to, to tell his boss that he's, he's wrong and he's messed up. And so much credit goes to Londo. It's same thing you said for him to be able to say the natural reaction for a traditional leader would be to argue. And, you know, what do you mean? I'm wrong. I can't be wrong. This is, you know, you're the one that's wrong. You see, whatever. Mm-hmm. But no, he's like, no, you're, you're right. And, 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 mm-hmm. and he did, he, he just he dove into that beautiful story that, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to take anything away from JMS and what he's created here. Mm-hmm. But the difference between this episode and everyone objectively is DC Fontana being involved and everything was elevated to such a point. No, even, even his cousins that were on the station for the sole purpose of getting attacked and giving Londo the, the plot foil to, to go to continue his journey of discovery and evolution. Those were deep characters with real stories. You know, I mean, I'm going to marry the ugliest woman in all of Centauri and, you know, and, and how they just wanted to be with each other. It's, I can't say enough about how great, how, how well this was put together. And even, even how it built other relationships. Like we've talked about the budding friendship, the professional rivalry friendship with Ivanova and Garibaldi. So somebody of command rank had to go and meet, uh, veer's cousins. They were, they were, Oh, I loved this scene. So I loved this scene. Oh, it's so good. So well written, perfectly acted, perfectly directed, everything. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so and and it, it was another great callback too. Again to to Takashima from the Gathering, but they needed a command rank person to accept custody of these Centauri prisoners or whatever. Ivanova's like, yeah, I got a lot going on. Garibaldi, can you go grab that? And he's like, no, I have a lot of going on as well. There's, you know, I mean, terrorist attacks happening here. And she's like, well, maybe I'll just get Sinclair. And he's like, ah, fine, I'll do it. But before I do that, I'm going to stop by hydroponics and pull out this coffee plant that, and just as he was doing it and Ivanova being like, um, it, uh, uh, it, okay, fine. I'll get it. I loved what it did between the two of them where they were able to have this, uh, not it, you know, professional, not it kind of a thing, but also with a little, little venom in it too. Well, I'll Mm -hmm. tell your boss, well, I'll take your coffee away. But I also loved that there was the scene in the gathering where Takashima was also illegally growing coffee beans. Right. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's not, I don't think it's an important connection, but I just thought it was a really cool little, little through line. But what that did for their relationship to me, I thought was absolutely huge. And it was a lot of fun too. (laughs) I'll, I'll go check it out. And you're an horrible, horrible man. Right. Like it was so well, that, but then the, to to build on their relationships more later when she's coming off the date and she's clearly like just put on her uniform and he, he she walks in and, and he goes, wow, new look. And she's like, look, given what's going on, I think you don't need to be worried about my look. Yeah, dude. You know, like I love that. I, I'm kind of hoping these two wind up together. Really? Really? Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of hoping because like I love this dynamic that they have. Maybe I don't want to mess with it. I'm, if they just stay friends, that's cool too. If this is the, if this is the relationship, that's fine. But I kind of want to see it work out as well. Cause I'm, I'm loving these two. I just thought it was uh, a cool, a cool piece that tied. So when he, she was talking with Biggs about, you know, Hey, do you regret, do you regret leaving me? And she's like, regret? No, my assignment was great for me. I really enjoyed it. My career's going well. Like she's a career oriented mm-hmm. person, but also the fact that they had Garibaldi make that comment I think was a really yeah. good commentary on what it takes to be a woman in a leadership position or a prominent role. You're always being judged and you're always being looked at through a different lens and you're being graded on a different scale than men. And that's not okay. And she right. called him on it. And yeah. it was just Garibaldi being just traditional, you know, white hat, cis guy in a leadership position and Ivanova having, having the guts to just be like, Knock it off, dude. Like, we have real stuff here to worry about. 
Stand by. We'll be right back. Are you ready to take your Babylon 5 for the first time experience to the next level? With our exclusive Patreon, you'll get access to all kinds of cool stuff that you can only find there. Our recording notes, unedited reaction videos, an exclusive Discord community, and you can even be listed as a producer of the show. Plus, we even offer exclusive meet and greets and hangouts. You won't find this kind of experience anywhere else. Get all these amazing benefits, plus the opportunity to interact with other fans from around the world. It's being part of a huge community where everyone shares the same appreciation for Babylon 5. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. That's the number five in the word first to get access to these incredible benefits. That's patreon.com slash Babylon 5 first. We can't wait to see you there. But you know what Gar- Garibaldi did that was really good was as soon as she did that, he respected it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he didn't, he didn't dig his heels and just become a jerk about it. Like, which, which would have been cool. in character for him. I think given what we've seen, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's the respect for her that he has. Maybe it's the, it is the gravity of the stuff that they're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Jakar. I struggled a bit with Jakar in this episode. Really? Because we have seen in seven episodes, I feel five different Jakars. And the only reason we haven't seen seven different Jakars is because he wasn't in two episodes, but we've seen five different versions of Jakar. And I'm not really sure what the real version of Jakar is yet. And in this one, what we got was I'm going to go start a riot. Mm -hmm. I'm going to incite a riot Jakar. And the last one or two episodes ago or whatever it was, we got Hey, actually, I'm a good guy and I'm looking out for you in my own way. I'm going to send somebody out to protect you. A couple episodes ago, we got Jakar and Londo are going to throw down at any given moment, but Jakar is still there to be the kind of not schmarmy. That's not really, I guess the right word, but he's there to be a politician. Yeah. You know, he is representing his world, but in this one, he was like, no F all the humans we're going to, we're going to mess this up. And I had a hard time with that. Yeah. And then on the other side, I was like, actually, this might be perfectly on brand for Jakar and I'm not sure. So I'm going to actually ask you, what did you make of Jakar? Was this a new side of him or was this on brand with Jakar? I think Jakar's the chaos agent of the show. Like he's the one who's always going to find a thing where he can ruffle everything up and then try and position the Narn as either the champion or the victim, right? So with with um, Catherine, it was being the champion coming in and saving her and doing this. With Londo, even though they were the you know the Narn were the clear aggressors in Ragash Three, he made it out that he was the victim. That Londo was coming after him in this. And again, I said it was righteous in there. He's not wrong. This was like one of the first times where he was everything he said was right. But his way of handling it was wildly irresponsible. But I think more than anything, he doesn't he doesn't care right about intergalactic peace or whatever. He cares about Narn superiority. And this was sending a message to the Earth Force who control mm-hmm. Babylon Five. They've got some you know authority over everyone. This was his opportunity to send the message. I got the numbers, and I can get up here and I can bring those numbers together and I can point them right at you. So yeah, you might have your little terrorist group or whatever. I literally have an army. So I think this was very on brand for for who and what Jakar was. I think it was just one of the first times he was actually justified <laughs> in what he was doing. But I think the counter to that though was Delenn. Yeah. So Jakar was I think I think a statement to Sinclair was if a Narn gets attacked, there will be bloodshed. Like you will pay and you will pay in blood. Whereas Delenn was very much about Sinclair, get your act together, do this right. Also, we want to understand, we want to help understand and figure out why this un, un, unbased hate exists. What's happening? Like, let's get into right. why and help fix these things as opposed to Jakar, who's like, nope, here's my opportunity for chaos and maybe some war where the Narn can come out on top. I don't know if you saw it at all like that or if that makes any well, sense for Delin you. Delin was different for me because for her, what I got from her was she was she was legitimately miffed and that's, that's the nice way of putting it. Jakar was 
opportunistic. Yes, that's the word. I, I was trying to say falsely or or trumped up or something like that. But Dylan was legit. Like you, somebody just got attacked and nothing's happening. I think though, I don't think it's somebody. I think they were subtle about it, but I think that she and Mayan had a relationship of some kind. So there was a piece where Dylan was like, "Can I walk you home?" And Mayan yeah. was like, "Nope, I, I don't have time tonight, and you've got other stuff." So I feel like there's some sort of a relationship there. So not only was this someone, not only was it another Minbari, not only was it a cultural icon, but I think it might have been someone that she's in a relationship with of some kind. So this was very personal to her. But I think as the episode went on, she moved from that to we have to understand this hate that's happening. I'm really curious to find out if you're right about that. Was she in a relationship with this person or is it something about Mimbari culture and how interconnected the various people feel to where it almost looks like they're in a relationship? They're just that connected as a people group and and. Like the only thing that I point back to that is I remember in the episode soul hunter, she is so like worried about these souls that the soul hunter has captured. And she's like, you have to release them to bring them back to us as a whole. And like, I'm good either way. I I don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to rewrite it. I'm good either way because I also picked up, they've got a thing going here, Mm -hmm. but then I was like, the thought just heard me. Like, I wonder if there's a bit of, this is just minbari culture because we got a big piece of centauri culture today yeah that's huge in this episode Mm -hmm. um is this just another aspect that i really wasn't sure but she she meaning to lynn certainly felt much more personally attacked and much deeper than she wasn't actually that that she should because she wasn't actually the person attacked yeah yep you know what i mean like she wasn't fighting on behalf of her friend she felt like she was fighting she was fighting. Yeah. 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 Whereas Jakar, I like your word opportunistic. Yep. He was being whatever. Now Kasha doing whatever Kasha doing. I don't understand that. I don't. Yeah. I don't but, know. You know, uh, he's plotting something. Well, and he was, he watching, feels like he's doing something. He was watching the, the library computer scenes of earth. And, uh, and he told Sinclair that he was, what was it? He was studying, studying, studying. Yeah. 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 Which honestly, if you're Kosh, and humans are coming in and jacking up non-humans. Okay, well, what is the history of humankind for messing people up? Like, I just want to know. I need to know who I'm dealing with because you're on the other side of that. He wasn't watching trees growing or kids playing in the park. Like, he was watching right. a cut from a clockwork orange that they made. They, you know, played some Ludwig Vaughn to and, and, and made him watch. Uh-huh. Like, they were, they were, he was watching the beat the ultra violence out of you movie clip. And that's our society. It is. <laughs> Hey, did you notice on the Minbari while we're talking about them, Mm -hmm. but did you notice that we've talked about the blue arrow on the head? They have it on their uh, fingernails also. No, do they really? Yeah. Go back and look when uh, Mayan and Delenn, when they hug. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to to look at that. I want to get into the meat of this episode, but I want to go back to the whole Londo thing real quick. I just want to put a bow on that before we go, if you don't mind. Yeah. Londo coming against these two people saying it's tradition. I mean, this man sounded like heavy, right? Tradition is tradition. We have to obey the tradition to going to the whole. My shoes are too tight. I forgot how to dance and how joyous he is when he says, because you're young and you should know how to dance. Like he was so joyous, but for him to go back and encounter his own words admittedly just in his own head you know but to go back and have to deal with the idea of i don't care about my name i don't care about my position i don't care about my power the only thing that matters is love mm-hmm. right as he's dealing with what was her name adira adira in uh, adira, yeah. it was adira yeah, born okay. of the purple um yeah as he's talking about that with her you know he tells her that he's like look i'm an old man i've had my hearts broken before like but he's saying this is the thing that it's all about and he seemingly forgets that going into this now i think at first it was like a, why am i being bothered with this mm-hmm. just get this out well, he of was, here. That was his thing send him to, send him back to the home world who cares not my problem yeah, i don't care yeah right right and then it became really uh, i mean because he got into it to forget who you are to forget our traditions is to forget who you are as a centauri and then 
for, for, you know, again, we've talked about Vera calling that, but I don't know, like it, it just struck me how you can have born to the purple and then turn around and have the war prayer Londo from both episodes. Yeah. And they don't, they exist in concert with each other, not in conflict with each other. Well, I think, I think that he, I think the conflict is a lifetime of having to live and look a certain way, you know, to conform to those Centauri ideals. He, I don't know what his role is and, you know, the, like where he lands in the hierarchy of Centauri politics or whatever, but he's clearly mm-hmm. a person of, of substantial influence. Right. And we know we've learned they get there through blackmail, having, you know, having dirt on others and, and really worrying about your honor and your family name. So a whole lifetime of living that, but through his life experiences and maybe as a result of his exposure, you know, there was the conversation with him and Garibaldi either in, um, I think it was in the gathering. It might've been midnight on the firing line, but where he talks about how everything is earth now it's earth time. Mm -hmm. It's earth. This, you know, now, now Centauri are a museum open, you know, from nine to five earth central time or whatever standard Mm -hmm. time. Right. But I wonder if that kind of exposure to other cultures is also opening his eyes to where he's like, gosh, I, this, this Centauri culture has actually made me miserable my whole life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've got these three wives that, that are three of the four horsemen of death, but gosh, I've loved some people and maybe, maybe I should have, maybe I should have done that instead. Mm-hmm. I think Londo's story is the story of a lot, a lot of people. You hear that when people are on their deathbed, right? They never talk about wishing they worked more hours, wishing they mm-hmm. sold more widgets, right? It's all about, I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish I saw more of the world. I think Londo's not on his deathbed, but he's experiencing those thoughts, but he's still conflicted because he's still that big shot in Centauri culture and still feels that pressure to show up. Well, I I think that goes to the idea of when you have a person who is in the midst of change, I used to be staunch this way, you know, Mm -hmm. as I'm growing and maturing and getting older and my eyes are opening to more stuff and I'm learning things. Actually, I'm shifting in my views. I don't know if anybody else has ever experienced that. At 40 something years old, I can tell you, I am not the same person today that I was in my twenties. Right. And I'm not the same person I was in my thirties. Hopefully I am much more centered and much more aware and much more people oriented than I ever was back then. And still there are times when, when the rubber meets the road that I still have those tendencies that were built into me as a young man that I actively have to fight against. Yep. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, because it's so ingrained in me now I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm expanding beyond that, but I still have these tendencies. I still have these knee jerk reactions that I have to learn to uh, overcome. And hopefully those don't stay my knee jerk reaction. Mm -hmm. That's what I interpreted Londo as having here. Okay. Yeah. He's in the midst of his change, uh, you know, as he's getting older, but this was a, just a, this is just how we are in Centauri. And for him to sit back and go, actually, I'm not anymore. And to be reminded of that in a whole new, fresh way, that's not just focused on him, but now it's also focused on others was just, it, it was, it was, in a, this was an amazing step forward in Londo's journey. And I hope they don't, you know, as other writers come in, that's not named DC Fontana. I hope they don't drop this. Yeah. And I'm kind of scared they might, but we'll see. But I think, I think the groundwork has been laid that it can backslide. And I think it's justifiable for yeah. the reasons you said, you know, in, in, in education, and this is a thing you, you know, a, a lot about, but there's the concept, uh, you know, the, the kind of the four stages of learning of unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, conscious competence, and unconscious competence. Whew, I hit them, but that you take those concepts and you lay them on top of the conscious versus subconscious thoughts that actually Dr. Bruce Lipton um, goes into incredible detail about if anybody wants to deep dive into this concept. But when you're Mm -hmm. in a state of conscious competence, that means you know what you know, like you're consciously Mm -hmm. making the decisions to act and behave in a certain way. And then your unconscious competence. So that's like your conscious mind. I'm going to think about these things and do these things. Your unconscious in your unconscious competence is you just know it and you just do it. And it's what happens. Mm -hmm. 
driving a car, I like to say conscious competence is where you're like, okay, I hit my turn signal. I move, I look over my left shoulder before I turn into the lane. I think about that and do it unconscious and unconscious competence is where you get in your car after work and then you get home and you're like, how the hell did I get here? Like what happened? Right. <laughs> right. Cause he's going autopilot. But in this case, Londo's subconscious. So his unconscious competence level is being the model Centauri and being loud mm-hmm. and worrying about your name and, 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 and having three horrible wives or whatever. But his conscious competence, his, his conscious piece he's working towards is what we saw in Born to the Purple and we saw here. And so there is that conflict between the two that as the story progresses, yeah, hopefully it continues and we see more, more progress and it doesn't just turn into, Oh, remember that time Londo thought love was a cool thing. Ah, yeah, that was neat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk about the main source of this. Humans are attacking non-humans. They are exhibiting the height of bigotry and racism and selectivism and what, what's, what's the phrase that they used within the show? Like earth first, earth first. Yep. The earth first. Oh boy. Does that hit really hard in today right? as we record this and our own country yeah, in June, first. in June of 2022, let me put this in yeah. a time and place right now as we're recording this. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, earth first. Okay. Let me substitute your own word for that and go, Yikes. no wonder that actually like I get the idea and it sounds good but it also feels real icky to me Mm -hmm. because I have a more global view at this age of my life than I did when I was younger. They're attacking these people. It's horrible. Ivanova's ex-boyfriend comes on station who, by the way, I don't know about you. I knew he was bad news from the moment he opened his Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, he was a hundred when he's like, yeah, I'm going to be on the station now and I'm just looking for whatever. I'm like, dude, you're the leader of this whole thing. And, and, and I mean, Sinclair becomes the captain that I want him to be. This is the Sinclair. I want not the guy going out grappling things in the, in the spaceships, the guy who's like, I'm going to pretend to be one of these guys. So they try to recruit me and, and I'm going to go, I'm going to blow them up. I'm going to right. And he goes in and, and the Sulaban dissolve. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, that's, I was like, whoa, look at those guys. Like, that's what they were, right? They were Sulaban. Totally. And again, I mentioned the Game of Thrones. I mean, where they're just coming out of nowhere, like stabbing people and trying to kill them. And I mean, and they get them in the end. Like, they get them back, yeah. uh, you know? And you mentioned Ivanova's great closing line some of them are more human than you. And I'm like, Jeff, I mean, this show was. It was perfect start to finish. Do you think it's a time for us to start hitting our closing thoughts on this? You think? Okay. I, I guess before we you're do diving that, well, in, I, I just, you're diving I, in. I do. I do. I will. Let me, uh, let me point out some of the funny stuff okay, that I thought okay. I had out of, out of this episode. One, uh, you remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about the really bad acting of Jakar spitting out the water yeah, when yeah. the lady comes in and you're like, yeah, that's the 47th take Sinclair's punch on Biggs was the weakest I mean, you could see him like miss his chin by six inches and like, I mean, I, it felt like a high school play to me in that moment. It was so bad. Even and then right after that. So like he, he did, had that just awful punch and then he, gra- uh-huh. then he like gently, gently grabs the, the gun, the PPG, I think they called it gun uh-huh. out of his hand. And then they cut to the stunt doubles diving over the, like the right. the only stunt double cut that was worse than this was Spaceballs. Like it was just like that was so apparent. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then and then okay, this wasn't really like a goof or anything, but I'm sorry, I did think it was hilarious. The cousins coming on on board, thinking that Veer was the ambassador because that's what he told. That's pretty great. Was great, great. Okay, that's all I had on the on the the. I want to make fun of it side because there's not a lot to make fun of. There's in this not. Episode, I have one more to, to make, be honest with you to make fun of, oh, but also kind of put a point on during the mob scene. So Jakar's getting everybody mobbed up and Garibaldi and Sinclair go into the mob to try and stop it. Garibaldi tells him to leave. And then Sinclair's like, no, I'm doing this. Garibaldi straight up says, commander, let me do my job. Yeah. So again, another case of Sinclair inserting himself where he didn't necessarily or yeah Sinclair inserting himself where he didn't need to be and again undermining I think Garibaldi so maybe not as funny as I thought it was going to be coming in it's actually pretty no not funny I actually I thought of you in that moment yeah (laughs) when we when we got to that because 
what's good about that though. Yes. Sinclair's natural instinct is to go in. Garibaldi's okay to call. I mean, in a way that Veer was okay to say, ambassador, you're mm-hmm. wrong. Garibaldi's like commander. No, get back. Let me, let me go in and do this. No captain Picard. You're not allowed to go down to the planet. That's not your job. Captain. You need to stay on the bridge. That's your place. <clears throat> That's my job as a first officer. Yeah, exactly. I don't care what Kirk and them did. This is my job as a first officer to keep you safe. Yeah. This is the rule. We're well, yeah. And Sinclair just imagining, hi, Senator from earth force. Yeah. Uh, Sinclair was killed in a mob that I was supposed to take care of. So sorry. So yeah, let's, let's do the, let's do the dive in on this, uh, the, the meat of this episode. Go yeah. Ahead. So in this, what we do is we look to see if the episode has a star Trek kind of quality to it, any star Trek like messages. Uh, and if it's, um, something that we want to watch again. We rate the episode on a scale of zero to five deltas. That's not necessarily how much we like it or not. That's how Star Trek we feel, quote unquote, Star Trek we feel this episode is. So Brent, what do you think? Well, Jeff, first of all, I think I have to admit something I said earlier. Okay, fine. I guess we do really compare the show to Star Trek. Kind of, yeah. Uh, I think we're still fine. We're fine tuning it a little bit. It's more about the message. It's not even, it's the message. It's not the show. It it is, it is definitely, it's the idea of does this show do what I think sci-fi as a general is supposed to do. What art and stories are supposed to do is to hold up a mirror, to give you hope for a future, to tell you how you can be, to, to show you the ugly parts Mm -hmm. of yourself. Boy, oh boy, does this episode hit on every single one of those. This is a five out of a five. Again, I'll say it again. Knowing that DC Fontana wrote this episode makes it all make sense. There is not one way that this doesn't achieve all those marks in my book. And if you have one that you can think of that it doesn't, then I'll eat my words, but I just don't see it in there. People out there commenting, email us. Or on YouTube, you can comment down there as well. Let me know if this one doesn't hit, but it 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 holds up a mirror that is unfortunately, Jeff. I, I got to tell you, confession time. Growing up as a teenager in the nineties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember those episodes of Full House and Family Matters and Fresh Prince of Bel Air, where they dealt with the Golden Girls, where they dealt with these issues of racism and and shows like the real world and things like that, that would kind of show where we could go. And like, I really remember sitting back going, who's actually racist today. We've gotten past this. Like I thought that's where we were back then. I'm sad to say I was absolutely wrong. It is something that is alive. And and unfortunately it seems to have really been fanned into flames over the last bunch of years. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and has maybe it just never really went away. I'm just now, aware of it in new ways, you know, cause turns out, uh, our friends have been trying to tell us this ever since the nineties that it hasn't gone away. And now I'm listening, uh, and my apologies to all of you for not, um, but boy, does this episode hold that up as a mirror to who we yeah. are. It gives us hope for a future. You see, you see what you could become. This tells you how to be like, like when Sinclair goes, when Sinclair says, Okay, these guys love to recruit these people, so let's infiltrate them so we can take them down. I'm hearing Captain Kirk on the bridge saying there's no room for this. He says, is what Sinclair says, he says, not on Babylon 5. I'm not having it here. I'm hearing Captain Kirk say there's no room for bigotry on this bridge. You leave that in your quarters, mister. Right? Yep. Like it's it's the same sentiment. And and yes, five deltas. Star Trek through and through, not Star Trek, but just that quality. It holds that, uh, that message. And you know what? We can get through it and we've got to be a part of it. You can, you just can't sit back and let those who are the victims be the ones who handle it. If you are not the victim, you've got to step up and stand next to those who are. And my God, can we talk about the strength of the Mimbari guest on this show? I forget her. What was her? Yeah. Shaw Mayan. Yeah, the strength that she exhibited. She said, "Don't you take that tattoo off of me." That is that is a a, a a that's a lesson lesson learned is what she said, right? And and when she steps up and she says, "Ambassador, my people love 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 defines these things." Like like she is moving forward despite what just happened. Wow, that's how we should like you can you can come back from that and and just be better. Yeah. 
How about you? Well, people say that Star Trek paints a better, a picture of a better future for us, but I don't think that's true. And I don't think Babylon five does either. It's exactly what you just said. It shows us a better future is possible. And I think that watching this episode today, 30 years after it aired and it being maybe more relevant than it was when it first aired hurts. It is, it was, it was, it was hard to watch. And I think to your point, knowing we know this, you and I, with, with, with the privilege that we have are seeing this now in, in, in a light and in a way that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. It's, hor- it's great that we're being able to see it. It's horrible that it's there for us to see, but this episode right. 30 years ago was showing it to us and showing it in such a great way. I think I couldn't help, but notice two things with this episode at the 27 minute mark. It had a turn where things changed. It was at the 27 minute mark where Sinclair was like, I'm going to infiltrate these, these, these people, we're going to blow this Mm -hmm. up. And from that point forward, this reminded me of the TNG episode conspiracy where Riker Mm -hmm. pursued that. And that one, they were like the bugs that took over people and they were going to infiltrate another season one episode. Uh Exactly. Right. The other gem, a diamond in the rough, but Riker posed as a member of them so they could infiltrate and and take him down. That was what, what Sinclair did. Um, Mm -hmm. So well then, well, I, only Riker. Only to be fair, Riker was far more convincing at it than Sinclair. He was. ate the gawk, or the, not the, even the gawk, but he ate just the straight up the, wor- the millworms. Yeah. Oh yeah. god! Oh, right gosh. over the face, the whole thing. But yeah, yeah. Oh, but what was what I kept waiting to have happen, and this was something in the editing was they were talking about how they have friends everywhere. Brent, that's such an mm-hmm. overarching hanging thread. Where are those friends? Right. What levels of government are they? What levels of Babylon five are they in? I kept waiting because they were cutting from Malcolm Biggs talking about all their friends to Garibaldi and the security crew running to the rescue. I kept waiting for the security crew to turn on Garibaldi and be like, nope, guns pointed and like, get down. We're home guard and we're, we're shutting this thing down. I kept waiting for that to happen. It still might happen. Well, I'll give you a, it still might happen because the president of earth ran on a platform of earth. Exactly. Exactly. And all of this movement is happening. They mentioned in this episode, they're waiting for a signal that is going to go out, not just on deep, not on (laughs) not on Babylon five, but it's also going to ring back to earth and Mars and all these other places. And this is a coordinated attack across. All we did was prevent what was going to happen on Babylon Mm -hmm. five. And you know what? Do you know who Sinclair's boss is that president back on earth? And so even if it's not the security forces turning around saying, lay this stuff down, uh, who was it that he was talking to the other day of saying, look, stay out of this declared neutrality yeah, the senator. And, and Sinclair. Yeah. yeah the mm-hmm. Senator guy, right? Like those guys, that's where I'm concerned about who's home garden. Who's well, especially not. when you look back, like at that thing, you know, stay, stay neutral. This was the Ragesh three vote. They wanted earth to stay neutral yeah. and do nothing, which would only cause Centauri and Narn conflict. It's like this very concerted effort going back to the beginning of the entire series of them planting mm-hmm. the seeds to just blow all this up. But one, I, I will watch this episode again. Um, I also watched it. I watched this one three times. I'm going to watch it again. It was so good. And if there were six deltas I could give, I'd give this thing six. This, this episode was perfect. Yeah. And it left things open. You know, you mentioned the idea that this plays just as true today, unfortunately, as it did back then. I have found that so many times in the other podcasts with beam me up, going through that with Matt of how many times we've watched a, Again, another 30 some odd year old show and gone, man, does this speak to today? Perhaps more so now than it did back then. I've often said that I think the world is better when Star Trek is on TV. Yeah. I think the world is better when sci-fi is doing what Babylon 5 did in this episode. Because I think part of where I had a false sense of uh, security is probably not the right complacency. word. Complacency. A, a complacency but not even complacency like a, like racism is so ugly and so disgusting. How could anybody be like this? Because I was constantly fed by my entertainment about how gross and disgusting it was. And I wonder, did entertainment stop doing that? Wow. Somewhere along the nineties, maybe the early two thousands. And when we get into 
shows like lost and 24 and like, have we stopped talking about that in our shows that these shows from 30 years ago are speaking to us now more so than the stuff we're getting now, you know, I, cause I haven't watched, I'm sorry. I haven't watched the expanse and had this same idea. Yeah. I haven't watched C I haven't watched anything. I don't know what, what are these shows that are on TV right now that aren't labeled star Trek? Cause star Trek is obviously concertedly trying to do this. Yeah. Now. Um, you know, honestly, even the, well, okay. The star Wars stuff has started kind of going down that, like pushing the envelope with things as they should, but where is, where has our entertainment, where has TV gone that they're not doing this? Babylon five does this so well in this episode and honestly the last episode as well you know it was honestly jarring coming to this episode even off mind war just the pacing the writing were such a higher caliber in this one that like it was maybe 20 minutes into this thing and i'm like how how is all this happening it's like it, it was i mean literally like mind mind war was the roller coaster starting to tip over the you know over mm-hmm. the the bend and this this is where we're heading down downhill and what you said there and, and then heading down on, on the roller coaster really really brings to me that scene the loyalty test that Biggs had for Sinclair where he brought the was it the Abai um, woman the kind of fish woman that came out and he wanted her to murder her and what an incredible acting job again where she's like please spare me no yeah. and it wasn't. <sighs> it wasn't pathetic. You know what I mean? Like there, there's a version of that scene where she comes across as like, Oh my gosh, she's acting. This is kind of lame. No, that was real. And it was disgusting. And there was a part of me, there's a part of me that thought Sinclair was going to do it, that he was going to commit. And I, it, I had decided if he did it, I, w- I would be done. Like I, I couldn't do it anymore. It, it was that yeah. gross. It was yeah. that disgusting. And I, the timing, the pacing was so perfect that I didn't know if he would, or he wouldn't. And when he finally turned and, and it all, and it, oh, it was, it was a physical relief, like a physical relief that he mm-hmm. did the right thing. But that's what came to mind when you were talking about that. Cause that feeling of disgustingness, that feeling of tension of like, oh my God, there's no way, no way this could humanly happen. That doesn't, that mm-hmm. doesn't, you're right. It, it hasn't happened in at least, at least 20 years of television. I can't think of that really. Again, tell us if we're wrong. Right. If there are examples yeah. out there, but I, none of them come to mind. Wow. Brent, that's, I hate to wrap this up, but that's war prayer. We did it. <laughs> we got through just an incredible, an incredible episode of television. So good. Well, next week, next week, we're going to be watching a new one. Now we've asked so many times, we're going to ask again, you're going to hear it a lot. Please no spoilers. That doesn't mean just from you, but we don't look anything up either. Mm-hmm. So what we look up, we see the next, the name of the next episode and that's it. And for fun, we like to kind of guess what that next episode is going to be about. So Brent, what do you think? And the sky full of stars is going to be about and the sky full of stars. Well, I'm really hoping that that episode can, I don't want to say is a part two to this one. Uh, Cause I don't think it should be, but really I think continues the storyline down. Now we've, we've, I can see how this episode was about war. I don't know how it's about prayer though, to be honest with you. So, you know, what does the title actually have to do? So the sky and the sky full of stars. um, I want to say it's almost like uh, war comes to Babylon five. Like you said, you see lots of ships out there in the galaxy, you know, or, or almost the other one of that is, uh, do you remember uh, in, in Indiana Jones and the last crusade when Sean Connery is, uh, uh, he goes and uses his umbrella to excite all the birds Yeah, and he starts quote, he starts quoting Shakespeare or somebody like that. May the foul, may my armies be the whatever, whatever and the foul of the air or something like that. Uh, Charlemagne, he says, he remembered to Charlemagne. Maybe it's like that. Maybe it's a something, something, something. And the sky full of stars. Like it's a, it's a phrase right. like that. I don't, I, I have no idea. That's my best guess. What about you? Would you, do you have a so guess? I think, I think we're going to completely detach from from this, from the, from the, the hate, from the, the thing that's the, the really the last two episodes of, of high ramped up tension. I think this next one's uh-huh. going to be some, some new alien something, and they're going to be absolutely uh-huh. just, uh, it's either going to be, I'm so amazed all of these, uh, the diversity and all the races and all this stuff on this station, or it's going to be, 
my planet has brings so much and my culture brings so much more. It's going to be some sort of awe of either I'm awed by Babylon five or Babylon five should be awed by what I'm bringing to it sort of a thing. But I feel like the next episode is going to be, it's going to be a lighter, a lighter episode overall. I would be okay with that. Yeah. Last two have been, I would be okay with been, that. It's been, it's been exciting. It's been fun, but it's been a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's you need a comedy every once yeah, in a while. You just you need that breather something. in yeah. there. Well, we're going to find out what, and the sky full of stars is about next week right here. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening to us. And don't forget to stop by Apple podcasts and wherever you're listening to us, leave us the rating, leave us a review. It means the world to us. And you'll leave us a review on Apple podcasts. We're going to give you some love from our Twitter at Babylon first right away. It's going to tweet out that, uh, that, that review that you left for us. So until next time, Brent, I'm going to channel the poet Sha'al Mayan, and I'm going to try and send everyone home feeling good. There once was a man from Rochester who said you should live long and- Jeff, Jeff. Yeah. Not a Star Trek podcast. That's right. Not. It's my first time. Leadership, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Its ongoing mission to develop leaders through Star Trek. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before. A leadership development podcast told through the lens of Star Trek. The Starfleet Leadership Academy. Available everywhere you listen to podcasts.